Welcome to this episode of A Chat With Pat. On this episode, I'm so stoked to have sit down with one of my great mates and one of the great men, Michael Keem. Keem is affectionately known as, has had many roles um, in the teaching and education sector. This includes starting in Palmer Street back in Portland and then eventuating to holding a couple educational roles within Melbourne in the AFL system and before that at Virtual Schools Australia. Kimi sat down with myself and shared a lot of his experiences as an educator and teacher, um, his motivations, why he became, some of his mentors, um, and also his time up in Darwin, which really he discussed and dissects really well. It came about as opportunity through COVID. Kimi is one of the great men, one of the most popular, popular and charismatic figures to ever walk the double three hundred five area, even the whole of Victoria and this earth. He's a great man. And I can't wait to share this episode with you where he talks about his upcoming move um, and so many other fascinating, hilarious stories that it was really a joy to listen to firsthand. Um, on this episode, I want to, we're going in bare, have a few technical issues with intro music, but that doesn't matter because the quality and the content is there. There's no better man to share, to share their story about. Um, I can't wait to get into these guys. So let's get cracking. Thank you all. Love you all. Like, subscribe, follow us on Instagram, spread the love, share the message. We're making this as big and as better as possible, guys. Love you all. You! We are ready. Michael Keane, welcome to a chat with Pat, mate. Um, take two? Can we say take two? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Almost take three, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, true. True. <laughs> I should have gotten you on um, a bit earlier, but um, yeah, thank you again, mate. I appreciate you giving up your time and having a chat with me. Oh, good, good to be again, here. again. Imagine if we recorded all the chats we've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if any of them make much sense, but <laughs> um, yeah. So, M- Michael, teacher, started back in Deakin University. Um, you've had multiple roles in the AFL, and then it's taken you most recently to Darwin. All started back in Palmer Street, but we could even take it back a bit further and say, well, who's been some of your, I guess, why you got into teaching? Um, if you had any influences or mentors, um, who, who influenced you to get into teaching, mate? Yeah, um, I guess growing up, we spoke about this the other day, growing up, I, mm. I wanted to study international relations. Yeah. So my sister, Lisa, my older sister studied that at uni and I'd always read a lot of her textbooks and her coursework and... Um, I like to think help her with her essays, but probably just more of a hindrance. But um, <laughs> um, I was really interested in that. Um, to get into international relations, though, you need about a 95 yeah. ATAR, um, which given the amount that I enjoyed not doing school work and drinking booze in year 12. <laughs> not the only one. Was, um, was probably never really on the cards. Um, so sort of I saw teaching as probably the next, next best sort of thing for me to be a history teacher mm. um, and then ended up kind of changing my mind a bit at uni um, and going towards primary teaching mm. um, and then as my career progressed went back into secondary and did took the history route so kind of explored education I guess as a bit of a whole yeah mm. yeah and then um, as we've discussed the other day it was something great we we brought up the other day about who influenced and mentored you to become a teacher yeah you'd like so to share the, who they were the um the history aspect of it I guess was was um at Portland Secondary College mm. was Ivan Boyer, so yeah. great local man, um, staunch Labour man in the southwest. <laughs> um, so 
He was just a legend, like having him sort of through year 10 and 11 history, um, a class with some pretty big personalities in it. Including me. One of the chaps in the class was a, a young liberal at the time. So him and Ivan used to have pretty, pretty staunch um, discussions, but like just mm-hmm. the way he could sort of facilitate a class and um, encourage healthy debate and like really prompt your interest in history obviously yeah. was super admirable because... There was, I'd go to some classes, admittedly, and, and just fuck around. But like when I was there, I was just entranced by his knowledge and his passion and, and stuff like that. And I really just wanted to share that, that mm. same passion with, with other people as well. So certainly he was the first one. And then in year 12 history, I had Tim Stevens, mm. um, who I think he might work at Baby now, but he's worked at both. Yeah. Um, and he taught me Australian history and... He taught us the real Australian history. Um, so a really sort of um, no holds bar recount of what is a pretty, um, I guess, barbaric history mm. in Australia. And um, although I probably knew a fair bit of it, I don't think I knew, really understood the depth of it until Steve-O kind of really unpacked it for us. Mm. And I found that fascinating. And he, he broke it down on a real local level as well. Um, so we went down to like D-Dub and places like that and spoke to some sort of local um, indigenous elders and um, we went out and looked at like the Convincing Ground Massacre site and he spoke to us about that, which was something that having grown up in Portland, I never even knew about. How old were you at the time? Um, so this is when I was 17. Shit. Which is pretty shit really when yeah. you think about it. Like <clears throat> I'd heard of what it was, but never really knew the whole story yeah. to think that, you know, I grew up, this was in the early 2000s, mid 2000s. Yeah. And that the, the true history still hadn't really been told. So I feel like we've come a long way in probably the 15 years yeah. since then. Do you feel that influence from him? Because I know, like, I'm lucky enough to know you pretty well and you're pretty strongly passionate about this. Do you think because of that influence, you're... Totally. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I just... Um, yeah, and some of the people that he introduced us to and the voices we listen to, which yeah. is obviously a really important part of it all. Um, absolutely. Yeah, like um, his passion for it was was amazing and then um getting out and actually you know finding out the real history and you know you still walk around portland now and a lot of the towns named after a lot of the first um you know white settlers and whalers and sealers and stuff like that and when you go back and look at the true history of the place um it's a bit of a kick in the teeth isn't it really yeah. just people that, that you know everything's called henty and the henty family probably uh you know originally didn't do the best things. yeah <laughs> probably not the best people to name after so and you can only imagine how much like now we look at now we're pretty quote unquote liberated about the issues that indigenous people um, face, and you can think now how looking back how silly it is to name this whole town with these mm. quote unquote again strong traditions and names, but really yeah. they stood for for just absolute massacres. Exactly right. <laughs> yeah, like we're we're essentially you know celebrating the decimation of <laughs> the the original you know owners or still traditional owners of the land. Um, so yeah, it's it's pretty. Um, pretty sad really that mm. that great towns you know like i love growing up in portland like yeah we, we all did um but yeah it is pretty it's pretty sad beginnings um like my family came to portland in i think it was 1854 like yeah. from a boat from liverpool in england um i don't know particularly if their beginnings were uh, <laughs> something to be proud of or not but like um yeah you know it, although it is a place that's given us a lot of joy and mm great home that it's certainly it has to be acknowledged that 
you know, some pretty fucked up stuff happened there as well. So yeah, and obviously that struggle continues. Yeah. Now, as how much has that made you want to, I guess, put forth the real history of, I mean, it's not just indigenous culture, but teach, I guess, the true things as a teacher, but as a person as well. If that yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's it's certainly influenced them. And um, we spoke about this the other day in yeah. my first job at Palmer Street. I was lucky enough to have. Steph Carter is my principal. Yeah. Um, and Steph's very progressive on this sort of stuff as well. Um, honestly, could not speak highly enough of her as a mm, professional. She's a great, great like, citizen of Portland was and an amazing, Southwest. amazing yeah. support for me, you know, when I had some tough times there and um, <coughs> as a professional and a person. Um, and, you know, I know that she's renamed the, the sport houses to, mm, to be um, yeah, did you know, more in line with the local tradition. Um, I'm pretty sure they're teaching Gunditjmara mm. language there now, which like, how the fuck has that Who not happened that? before yeah. now? Uh, like, you know, why, why do we ever learn French? Like, yeah. <laughs> like why are we teaching kids French? <laughs> like Johnny. You know, like, unless they go on to like New Caledonia. Like, yeah, like I, yeah, at work at VACA, it's like, um, you know, this indigenous, i got an indigenous kid client. He's going to a school and they're learning Chinese. Like, yeah. imagine that when he gets older and yeah, no, realizes, like, like, oh, fuck. So, we're, 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 <laughs> um, we're learning these, like, you know, European languages and we're not learning the languages of, of our own country. So, mm. um, yeah, Steph's doing great things. And I think her her stance and her progressive nature on that sort mm. of encouraged me to, to move into it more so. Mm. So, yeah, I'd like to think that, that that started to embody some of my yeah. teaching. Yeah. When I think of uh, that, I guess, relation to, um, and on the side note, too, native custodians of land i kind of always think is of the example and obviously not in the best well i haven't seen our knowledge not the best of like new zealand and the maori people like yeah, yeah. you see how they greet yeah maori people and mm. or even like general people just they take it within their everyday stuff i'm like why can't we do that like yeah, why haven't yeah, we yeah. got we <laughs> and you know even down to the fact that like you know white white people in in nz do the haka mm. yeah well, yeah you know, like they join it's, it's an embraced culture and they've obviously done a lot of mending yeah well, yeah um, we throw this term land rights yeah. there's treaties there's all that kind of thing which you know we still can't seem to quite get around to and doing yeah <laughs> we we call you know we we throw the word reconciliation around but we yeah. don't have any understanding of what it is compared to new zealand <laughs> yeah yeah and i just think you just have to have a conversation with someone over the age mm. of 60 to show probably yeah. <laughs> um the work that, that this country has to do um yeah and that's just generational i guess and and um the only way to fix that is by Mm. educating those who are coming up and you know as we see the flow on effect through generations yeah. and hopefully we can leave it in a better place than we found it because i think especially when i was born in the late 80s like <clears throat> we were still we i mean we are still but we were incredibly deeply <laughs> inherently racist yeah. place like no. um and not only towards indigenous people but towards you know we're in brunswick now like massive italian greek <sighs> um arabic populations yeah. still to this day like is mm. um you know, there's pretty big divisions in our in our society. Everyone yeah. likes eating a, you know, a kebab when they're pissed <laughs> or something like that. But like they, they have no understanding or acknowledgement of, of where that culture came from or, or exactly. anything like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so then through like your teaching, I guess, journey, um, where did that take you? I guess once you finished uni and then where was that first kind of... Um, opportunity to to deliver that and be that mentor within your career yeah so i first worked at hayward um consolidated just for a little bit as a, as a PE teacher yeah and then at the start of my career i was pretty um <laughs> i was more interested in traveling to be honest <laughs> how old were you at the time working um 
so I must have been about 22. Yeah. And so I'd already taken a gap year before uni and traveled pretty extensively and then went to uni, did some more traveling, which I could. When I was at uni, it was when the, um, the Rudd government gave out the stimulus packages to try and avoid the um, global financial crisis. Oh, so, yeah. so if you're a uni student, you got these like $1,500 payouts. <laughs> so I just, I, just banked, I just banked both of mine for the oh, year. Oh, I remember the four grand. The, I reckon I was getting the three or four grand. Yeah, there was some pretty oh, good ones. Yeah. So literally every dollar on mine went on international airfares. <laughs> <laughs> How many business points did you get? I mean, flyer points did oh, you get? I've actually never signed up for one of them, which is the stupidest thing. Um, so... As soon as I graduated, I would go home and live with mum and dad and generally play footy season and then I'd go overseas for three or four months at a time. I did that for about three or four years in a row yeah. until dad pretty much said, get a fucking job. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone knows Peter Keem, that's quite within his vocabulary. Like I'd, I'd come home in April, clapped out with long hair, overweight, you know, <laughs> again every year and... Um, He'd seen enough and then, yeah. Then <laughs> He'd seen enough. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, Steph was the first one to give me, um, I think I did four days a week there and then and then full-time for a couple of years. So certainly learnt a great deal when I, in my time at Palmer Street and not just from Steph, but from there's heaps of other great teachers there. Scotty Hamilton, um, yeah. a, a guy we both know, um, really great progressive young teacher as well, um, who I learnt a lot off. Um, so, yeah. Mm. How much of your learning do you think was in the classroom and the environment itself? Like, I mean, Haywood at that time would have been throwing you in the deep end in, in some in some way. Yeah, yeah. Well, we spoke the other day that um, nothing. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> um, nothing um, against Haywood. <laughs> <laughs> no, there was, some, there was some interesting characters out of Haywood. Um, and at the time, I was playing for you for Westerns, and us and Haywood were the, probably the best two teams in the league that year. And so yeah, every time we'd play them. I'd get an absolute barreling from the kids all week. All the, all the boys, Levo Molseed and Nashi, and they'd be picking their kids up from school and I'd be there just dropping them off. So it was a little bit weird. Like at, now I just wouldn't care, but at the time yeah. you could probably care about footy a bit too yeah. much than you really need to. And, oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, it was a little bit odd and we lost to them in the grand final that year. So they, <laughs> they um, let me know about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was, a, that was a, good, a good first experience and probably brought home a lot of that stuff that I spoke about that I learned mm. um, going up in high school and, and then being able to work really closely in an Indigenous community was great. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, for sure. And then again, acquiring that knowledge even more for a community like that with... Yeah. I think we take that for granted a little bit as much as we... If we talk Indigenous community in Portland area, like I think we're so obviously blessed to have such a strong indigenous community there like mm. Gundajamara land to kind of educate people even though it's our own responsibility but to kind of learn from that in that perspective like imagine if like there was this you know no indigenous community there and yeah, yeah. Uh, and we both know some of the uh demographic in portland how different yeah. how different the perspectives may have been for the kids to or the new generations to learn totally you know what i mean and then yeah, it's yeah. even great where the leaders in that oh that's me where that yeah. leaders in that um, community can can teach and can take that opportunity, one. Yeah, I think we're super lucky to have even like to have Bujim Bim, oh, um, just, just out yeah. the road. You know, like I was talking to Erin um, Rose, who's a friend of mine, the other week. Um, she was saying it's I'm pretty sure it's the only culturally listed heritage world heritage site in Australia, mm. um, which is absolutely phenomenal. Like what a learning experience and. Mm to think that we've gone generation on generation without even 
essentially acknowledging it. Like, like not even batting an eye. Like, yeah. yeah. Like, I actually did the tour of it a few years ago and it's unreal. Oh, it's like, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've ridden out there. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Um, and the, you know, the history and all of that. Like, obviously, you want to preserve it and, um, and, and let it, let it be, but it's an amazing, like, learning opportunity for kids in our area. Like, mm. incredible. So, we are blessed to have such sort of rich history in our, in our area that we can learn from and mm. acknowledge and, be a part of i guess yeah and i feel that um this is that link i guess really sense of passion with you between our educators and our learners like um not for the indigenous people and locals they shouldn't have that responsibility but it should be like us and you know educators what's that link between okay well we got this responsibility to mm. be the mentors of the next generation and we've got this amazing backdrop environment so we may as well teach the right things yeah that's exactly right like um it's been probably not it's what well, it hasn't been taught well enough for a long time, long time. and um that's on us to, to fix it like you know and that that was definitely something that drove my passion to do it mm. um along with other things like you know yeah love just helping people in general or helping kids and um that kind of thing but yeah it's something that has to be has to be done like yeah um if we're ever gonna sort of mend start to mend the the chasm that probably exists in our society and then that's where you start yeah, I think I completely agree. I completely agree. Yeah. And um, so following from Haywood, I learned a few things. What where to take you next with teaching? Yeah, so that was to Palmer Street next. Um, did Palmer Street? I worked at Bayview and Second College like a little bit here and there, um, mm. in some short term contracts. And then when I moved up to Melbourne, I um, got a job at Virtual School Victoria. Yeah. So Virtual School Victoria was sort of born out of the, what was the distance education back yeah. in the day. So should we be calling it distance ed now, or is it just uh, a branch? Virtual school, Victoria now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so basically, offers online learning to kids um, in sort of a progressive manner. So now it's kind of become a hub for kids who suffer from physical or mental illness mm. can go there. Um, it's got about four and a half thousand students. Yeah. Um, kids who can't get a subject at the local school. So there's this like. The demographic, the demographic <laughs> range. is the most mixed yeah. one there. I um, can imagine there are kids on like NDIS and through TCPs totally. and stuff like that. And yeah, student athletes and you've got like <laughs> super high functioning kids who've got autism but are like doing, you know, university specialist yeah. maths um, <laughs> and everything in between. So I mentioned to you the other day that I was, I managed to become head of like student experiences, which included camps. Wow. Um, and probably the coolest thing that we did there was... Um, I got to run a camp for 40 kids who were all um, special needs, who were all on the what we call a social-emotional enrollment. So they yeah. had a mental health concern or challenge of some description. Yeah. So <laughs> running this camp in like my second year of teaching there with 40 <gasps> kids with raging anxiety. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, what could go wrong? <laughs> was was um, one of the great challenges. And we spent like months and months working up to it. Like we, we ran them through what they were going to do. We had online lessons and meet and greets and... All this stuff, yeah. they had partners, like the whole bit. And just that the, the aim was that they all just got through the camp, that they survived yeah. the three nights, I think it was. And um, we had our first <laughs> the first kid took like 48 minutes to say that he wanted to go home. <laughs> <laughs> Who had the timer for that? Who had the timer for that? <laughs> so I was like, fuck, this is going well. Um, and then we only, only two kids went home though. So we had 38 who made it through. Yep. And who had a great time and I had, you know, a lot of parents come up to me and, and say it was the highlight of these kids' schooling lives. So, yeah, that was kind of my next, I guess, foray 
in education was helping or trying to help um, kids like that who what we called social emotion enrollments. Yeah. Kids who were some of these kids too anxious to leave their bedrooms. Um, extreme bullying issues, ASD, like, all this sort of stuff. Probably bro- so, like broken down home, like totally. uh, that range, like this yeah, other yeah. side that probably no one ever see, yeah, like we exactly. don't ever see or get comfortable with, like don't, well, get comfortable in our own skin with, like there is that whole other side yeah, for yeah. kids and they upbringing in families and stuff yeah. where just getting them to school is such an issue. Um, a lot of kids who were experienced like gender dys- dysphoria or I don't know if that's the latest, latest term, yeah. but yeah. you know, um, question marks around or uncomfortableness around their sexuality or, w- yeah. or where they're going or they didn't feel they, f- they fitted in with specific stereotypes or whatever in, in, yeah. in mainstream schooling. And um, I guess that that's another sort of emerging issue is how we cater for all young people and yeah. how they feel and who they feel they are because, you know, who are we to tell them who they yeah. are exactly? So that was, that was another awesome, I guess, experience that I got to have there. So, so I guess that would have taught you a lesson in like, not only in your teaching, but... In, inclusiveness as well mm. um trying to include i you know these quite different kids yeah, yeah, yeah. into learning yep exactly right and um and being mindful of that and questioning your own yeah. how you how you conduct yourself and some of the cognitive bias that you probably have and bring to oh. your teaching and stuff like that which yeah. you don't even know about which is not like you don't mean anything by it but like it's just a, another way of approaching things and mm. you know i'm a white straight male you know, so like I've had it on the whole generally pretty easy to this yep. point in my life. Like obviously we've all had our challenges, but um, you know, I think that it doesn't hurt to stop and listen and to stop and try and understand different people's struggles yeah. and their journeys and their stories. So like we're all in it together. So Like even I still struggle with it, even though I've had a few years in, as a social worker and stuff and going to a home where there's, you know, drawings on the wall, mm. it's community housing or... It's pretty confronting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you got to challenge those biases even on the way there like yeah you i think we all do it some of us don't even have a clue and then you get that like shock i've, I've seen yeah, people yeah. and that's that comfortability that i think we've talked about a few times before that there is that whole other side where mm. people are just legitimately struggling to yeah, get yeah. to school or to get to work or yeah yeah and they don't have those opportunities to do well in a way like totally and i think one of the things that gets me and i guess it kind of falls back into this like the baby boomer perspective of yeah. why can't people just get a job? Yeah, you know, why can't why can't they like why do they want to live there or why do they, why do they want to work? Like, and you're like, well, they probably don't. Like, there's probably a reason. You know, there's mm. such things as generational trauma or generational poverty, things like this that create these opportunities, oh, these 100%. environments that these kids exist in. Mm. And um, it's yeah, it's up to us to try and equip them with tools to to break those molds if that's what they want to do like, and break those cycles as well yeah like, which is extremely hard to do like data would suggest it's very very hard to do 100% yeah <laughs> like if you you know with kids you know who are you almost think about like a steps backward approach mm. I think it's pretty much the analogy where okay then okay their mother smoked you know in pregnancy smoked had environmental factors of domestic violence while this kid was in the womb two steps back yep. you take all yep. these things back yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're like already 10 steps back they're starting off scratch aren't they? yeah, yeah exactly yeah. like um it's just something we so easily forget sometimes yep. and yep. we we gotta like you said really break that cycle as a just as informer mentors whatever we work in the healthcare teaching field to mm. give them the best steps forward and only for society challenge their you know misconstrued ideas about you know these people quote these people because you know we have a high poverty gap and we have a high gap yeah. in australia which is so crazy to even no, think about yeah, as well yeah, yeah. with our you know hospital system and then our, our you know social services as well yeah. yeah and you just like you've even got to look at as i was as i said the other day yeah. like 
guys who are our our dad's age yeah. probably <laughs> never had the opportunity or were encouraged to share their feelings or they couldn't nah. like you know they had to be a guy and they had to be a bloke and this and that and like to see how emotionally fucking oh, <laughs> like inactive locked, locked up they are. the fact that like they can hardly even tell you they love you kind of thing yeah. um so imagine the the trauma and the deep-seated like you know fuckery that these other kids are going through which as you said who have got yeah. broken homes and you know potentially um physiological things through birth yeah. stuff like that like just it's easy to see how it can like it can result in massive discrepancies later in life yeah and then and then you take in attachment issues when they're born yep. and then things like that but you know it's just not giving people that platform and the people who can say the way you get a job have got that platform like they're the ones who were able to be in that position That's in right. a way yeah, yeah. like but yeah. they just don't see it like it's yeah. that whole other side argument that i talk about a lot and it's it's hard to like break down you know when you're trying to some of the, the houses that i would go to and the kids we would try to help and the, the resistance to help is another big one. So you went out in the community as well. Um, yeah, so we go around to well, kids' yeah, houses yeah. when they be learning. We're learning from home, and but often you will be greeted with by negativity. See, I never knew. Yeah, from I never the knew that. Families yeah. and stuff like that, just because like, and when I was working in the NT, which I guess we'll get to, yeah. but like you're just another white bloke in a Toyota Land Cruiser. You know, yeah. like there's been so many things promised to people in their situations for so long that haven't happened yeah. that like are you going to be any different? Like, mm. what are you going to do for me that the last guy didn't? Yes, so exactly. that's an important, yeah, sort of barrier to break down. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Not, I think we're getting there. Like, yeah. I think we're, I like all these movements in the world today. And I like to think we are getting there. Like, um, sectors like teaching and community services sectors are going to be two. Of the, I think, I know that my community service can't speak for teaching, but they're going to be some of the biggest growing in the next yeah. few years. They said community and healthcare or community work or social work is going to be third or second, second or third yeah, in, right. in, in Australia. They're, they're expecting it to Massive. be. So when I was told that, I was thinking, well, maybe there is this big growth yep. in people wanting to help other people and break that cycle, which mm. will be so amazing to see. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So in virtual schools, now we'll stay on that. Um, during the COVID isolation, do you think... You know, looking back at that, that that skill set may have helped you if you were teaching because there was something that quite happened in between all that, wasn't there? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Virtual School Victoria is pretty progressive in, in how they approach it. Yeah. And I think it's something that definitely all teachers will have to become more mm. proficient at as we move forward because like COVID sort of shown us that what we do is not always going to be the way, you know. Yeah. How do you we're, feel we're about gonna, that? We're not going to have a pandemic all the time. But. How do you feel about that? Because, yeah as a yeah i'm a screen between this connection yeah and like i'm not all for it but like it, it has its it has its uses for sure yeah. you know like um it's the same as working in an office setting like i'm more about going into the office and being up and about and stirring people yeah. up and team camaraderie and all that stuff but i also kind of get the working from home attraction and yeah. that kind of thing so i think there's a healthy balance there somewhere um, and I think that our schools will continue to move more digital and online. But yeah, as I said, there's probably a, a healthy balance to be struck. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, from working at virtual schools, you got an opportunity in AFL as well. How did that, yeah, I did. is that correct? How did that come about? That I literally thing? just saw it um, advertised on like seek.com. Yeah. Um, and I thought it sounded like me. So that was... Um, my job as national school programs coordinator. Yeah. I so could I, imagine it'd be such a competitive, like that would have been a, a great job. Like yeah. obviously it was great, but a competitive job to get. In yeah. A way. Yeah. I like any job at the AFL is, is yeah. pretty competitive. And um, so it's a pretty rigorous 
process like it's sort of three interviews and Jeez. they they run you through it pr- pretty heavy but um i was lucky enough to to be appointed as that and i absolutely love that job so i was working out of afl house um with some great people and basically the crux of the job was to make footy more accessible to people through schools mm-hmm. um and particularly targeting audiences that may not traditionally be associated with footy clubs so yeah. um in melbourne it was often uh, like women obviously was a big one yeah um and then different cultural minorities as well so vietnamese cult, um communities mm. african communities um middle eastern communities <laughs> and making footy clubs and footy more accessible to them because yeah. kind of if you can't be can't see something you can't be something yeah so we did a lot of work with um like jack door for example who was yeah. in north melbourne at the time he did a lot of stuff to video for us was in at work a lot um mm. trying to break down i guess barriers that existed between footy clubs which are traditionally yeah, white, white, <laughs> white kids um and trying to make it you know if you're a young sudanese family growing up in the west like and you want to go down and play footy it's a pretty fucking intimidating job oh, like absolutely. you know <laughs> all the dads there swearing at the umpire and um so yeah our work was to kind of come up with a national strategy on how we address that mm. yeah and then through how long were you many of the years were you, were you uh i was there for about two and a half years all up yeah yeah and then you shared that the thing that kind of triggered the end of that was COVID. Yeah, yeah. so um, you know, I remember when it was, I think it was round one last year. Yeah, um, they pretty much came out and said that's it, where we can't do it, and we were losing just a huge amount. Like the AFL makes a huge amount of money per game, oh. like millions of dollars. Well, yeah. um, so our our whole team was stood straight down. There's about I think eighty percent of the workforce got stood straight down. Yeah, and. As it sort of wore on and it, there was evident that footy wasn't going to come back anytime soon, it was kind of evident that my team wouldn't get put on because we don't really make much money. We're, it, well, we're in growth, so it, we're trying to grow the game a bit, but there's no direct uh, revenue promote, stream. That, promotion, marketing, kind yeah, of, like yeah, to so get more recruitment kind of thing, get more people involved. We're not, in we're game, not the yeah. commercial team who's signing big deals with Toyota. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> we're like the Oz Kick and schools team who are like doing cool shit in the community, but... We're spending the money. We're not making it. So it's hard because it's to me on the surface level, it seems like there was a bigger value in what you were doing then. Mm. As silly, like just because there was a dollar value, but you yeah, can't yeah. if you don't have people playing the game, then how are you going to continue to make money? It's a bit of a catch me too, isn't it? Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of need the people signing the big deals in the first place though to yeah. make it all work. So yeah, so we ended up getting um, stood down from there permanently, and then I was offered a secondment in Darwin for nine months. Yeah. Um, so I jumped at that and that was about two days before the second lockdown in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, so I had to pretty much pack up my shit in 24 hours. Tell <laughs> <laughs> day while you're breaking the lease. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to break the lease of a house I just signed for in Fisher North, which cost me shitloads. Yeah. And then um, escape over the NT board, sorry, the SA board yeah. in Gambia at like 7 a.m. Yeah. And, the, and the border closed at like 8. So, Do you think you would have made that decision if we weren't in lockdown? Yeah, it would have been different. I yeah, think. yeah, for sure. I probably would have maintained hope of finding another gig in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. But um, with lockdown approaching again, and the numbers were like that was when they were just like doubling every day. Like yeah. it was getting pretty hectic, and I was like, you know what, fuck it. And it was dry season in Darwin. I was like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's do it. Kick back with the boys. <laughs> yeah. Um, how was isolation and COVID for you? Like, I mean, if you look at these things, you lost a job, 
you had to mm. move back home for a bit and yeah, uncertainty so and we, we also kicked you out of our house that you, you came been there a few times I yeah was li- great with, establishment living with three of my best mates um in brunswick working probably my dream job yeah. um we got kicked out of the house and the next day i lost my job um so yeah i was pretty lost pretty lost there for a bit um moved back home and was lucky enough to pick up some work again at palmer street mm. but it kind of when it comes full circle like that it's pretty sobering yeah so yeah it was it was pretty tough like i mean it was fine i still had money and mm. i was earning money and everything was okay but like yeah it was pretty it was pretty sobering yeah like more un- uncertainty than anything or mm-hmm. just kind of like what's next or how long yeah uncertainty was probably the big one i feel like i need to be constantly doing something yeah both in my private life and professional life like i need to be i can't just sit and do monotonous shit every day (laughs) so even though it was great doing a casual teaching gig i knew it was only five five weeks it Mm. wasn't overly you know challenging so that's why i love my job at afl house is Mm. because Every day there was a new challenge. There was deadlines. There was this to stick to. Mm. I was trying to work my way up the rungs. Yeah. Um, there was like, this be- was an end date. This was got to finish then. Yeah, yeah, I'd become so used to that like high-paced environment that when that went away, I was searching for that a bit, I think. Yeah, it's funny with the human psyche that when you get an end date, you're like, okay, this is it. Nothing you got. You can't progress any further. You yeah, can't yeah. do anything else. This is it. You're not doing getting anything more out of this. How different we... we can't we... I guess feel like mm. when you, until we get put in an environment where it's like okay you can grow you can make this as much as you want yeah. out of it it's just so fascinating to it me is yeah, yeah yeah how different I and literally then, can't work if I don't have a deadline like I, I can't do it I can't just sit there and just tap away at an assignment I'm yeah. like I need to get this done by this hour and then I'll have a break and then do you know what I mean yeah. like it's always a goal always goal driven always time driven mm. um, that's just I guess this is how I operate so when I lost all of that yeah it was a bit I guess a bit of a mind fuck. How yeah. did you keep yourself busy with that end goal in the date? Like when I started, yeah. Wine? yeah. Um, I just try and do it like in other aspects of my life. I guess like try and get back into fitness, or sometimes it's been footy, um, reading. Like um, I've stu- gone back and studied again at uni for oh, periods of time. Well, what did you study? Um, I went back to study nutrition for yeah. for three years. Um, so that kept me going in a period of time where. Perhaps my like job wasn't as stimulating that it should have been. Should have been, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So just keeping yourself busy and trying those different things. Like, and we said before, and we've said many a times that even ex- externally from the first take that we were we're much alike. Where we had to keep going mm. and had to keep new challenges because you just can't be sitting there twiddling your thumbs, which COVID forced everyone to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like to. It like sound like a bit of a wanker, but like <laughs> control what I'm doing. Like I like to be like, you know, if I do this, this, and this, and this is going to be the outcome. Whereas COVID just totally took that away. Yeah, and it was like, oh, you're just going to have to wait and see. And I just, I just cannot handle that. Yeah, and I couldn't so, help, but a lot of people would have definitely felt. The yeah, same way yeah, well. and that yeah. was half the appeal of Darwin as well. It's like I know I can go there and get this job. Yeah, it's going to be a great experience. Like let's do it. Yeah. So yeah, was it? Um, you know, those first. Obviously, you had to isolate. That was had okay. To, yeah, yeah, had to isolate when I was there for two weeks in an Airbnb. <laughs> um, got drunk and cut my head open. <laughs> By yourself? <Yeah. laughs> um, we on FaceTime with Jimmy Lindsay. I hit it on the... I had been. <laughs> I had to... Um, I hit it on the dryer and I split my, the top of my head open and had to get... Um, 
the nurse had to come in like full fucking PPE gear. No way. And just like glue it up. Like it was just a tiny, like it just wouldn't stop bleeding. But um, so imagine being this nurse. Just, <laughs> just, <laughs> like, they probably would have seen some shit. They yeah, would have yeah, seen yeah. some people absolutely amusing themselves. But it was probably the best two weeks of weather that I was in Darwin. It was <laughs> smack bang in the middle of dry season. And the sun missed my balcony by about two foot. So like, I just like, you sticking my head out trying to like get some sun because I was turning fucking albino. You've just got this line across yeah. the <laughs> witches. But like, it was, it was fine, man. Like, yeah. I just ring some ring a mate every night or whatever. I had a bit of gear in there to do exercise. Yeah, Netflix had. I was working, so like it was fine. I could have been worse. Yeah, so you yeah. started your orientation. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Now, I guess being from Portland and coming from Portland and then going out because you would have, I imagine, worked in some rural communities in Darwin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of rural communities. Was yep, that yep. much of a shock to you, or? How did you take... Do you remember your first day stepping on into a rural it community was, um, and the things that you thought of then? Yeah, it was absolutely a shock. Yeah. I think, um, as I alluded to before, like growing up in Portland and that, you think you've got a pretty good understanding. Yeah. Um, but the NT is a whole other ball game. And they're either remote communities, um, are certainly challenging environments to try and work in. Like, um, just because there's just so much going on. There's so many push-pull factors. There's so many... Like, I was trying to design education programs and um you know i didn't even know that some of the communities get cut off in the wet season for example so i'm like oh can i go to this community and they're like nah you can't because, because it's, it's cut off for six months of the year like just even physical things like that even that I more didn't know. isolation onto already even isolated more, yeah, yeah yeah like incredible um you know different things that are happening um like sorry business when like a member of the community dies that's a a big thing and mm. the sorry business goes for a, a long time and um, disrupts education and stuff like that and that's the issue there is that we're trying to teach people to walk in two worlds oh, is what we're trying 100%. to say yep like maintain your culture and, and that but also come and do what we want you to do exactly. <laughs> it's just like you fucking can't have both like you, you really can't you can't it's, no. it's one or the other and I guess the longer that we try and force these people to do that that it's, the it's more ultimate, we're ultimately spinning our wheels yeah yeah. and it's it's on us to try and fix that because yeah, yeah. It, but there, it's it, there is some pretty confronting um, stuff there, and it's, it's some pretty sad realities. Mm. Was it so? When you mentioned sad realities, is it more like the lifestyles and how, like, you know, how can people live like this when I'm, you know, just that? Um, I guess that, like, you're trying to force the Western way of life onto yeah. this pop, these populations. The oldest civilization has resulted. In the world. Yeah, <laughs> has resulted in their loss of culture, their destruction of their native habitat. Yeah. We've got fucking mines up there, taking all the shit out of the ground. Like, you know, it's just the layers of fuckery is amazing, mm. <laughs> and that the fact that we just throw money at it now and think, think it's going to be okay. The, think that that's the answer. Yeah. There's, there's places where there's been Catholic missions established where they brought in um, people from different language groups, and then when mm. the Catholic Catholics left they left everyone there and then wondered why they're now fighting it's mm. because these people would live with traditional land borders for centuries happily like yeah you, know, you stay over there we'll stay over here it's all good and then yeah. they bring them all together and then wonder why they're now fighting yeah over the town. and it's just like just fuck off yeah <laughs> but I guess did you find footy to be a positive thing I mean I know footy's you- a massive yeah, yeah. yeah footy is and that was part of my job is using was using footy yeah as like a the carrot to dangle for education yeah um so working at the Michael Long Center, um, so yeah, that's tell kind of the, people a bit more about the Michael Long Center. Yeah, um, so the Long Center's in Darwin, and basically we would bring in 
students from remote communities, so from all across the NT, so from right down in the desert to out on Tiwi to out in the Gulf, Arnhem Land. Um, they come in for week-long camps and they basically it's like a leadership, upskilling, general like how to be a good person kind of thing, but yeah. it also gives them a look at the employment pathways if that's the route they want to go down, down oh, yeah. footy pathways. Um, yeah, so the centre's really well kitted out. It's got like it's a full school camp. It's got a gym and a pool. It's at like TIO where you see like where the Dreamtime game was played last yeah. week. So they get to cruise around there. Um, so I was in, in charge of like refreshing and renewing a bunch of their education offerings while yeah. I was there, yeah. So what did that include, I guess, like within just the, in the clinics or? Um, no, so the whole, basically how the whole thing is Delivered, delivered. Yeah, yeah so we had to make sure it matches up to like australian curriculum standards to what the education department yeah. wanted to what the federal government wants like bridging to what the, the gap NFL wants exactly Br- yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so and then reading all the literature and seeing how we can start to build to bridge the gap that does exist between in indigenous education yeah um and how we're doing that through the programs that we offered and how we can like enrich further our offerings at the center yeah was it hard to leave darling yeah, it was. I, th- I I did feel like I left prematurely. Um, I would have loved to have done another dry season because dry season's... The best. <laughs> like, per- perfect weather, like, you know. Um, it was hard, yeah. It's good. It's it's such a great place, such a cruisy um, pace of life. It's beautiful. Um, yeah, loved it. I couldn't speak highly enough of it. Yeah, yeah. And like they're... Like I could only imagine just you know that photo of you kicking back in the pool. <laughs> it's just like every single day Mate, after going. Yeah, I don't. I think my liver will ultimately thank me for leaving because <laughs> you know you can't you can't really go a weekend like where it's, it's thirty degrees and sunny. Like oh yeah, we all know we can't it's Friday knock off. Even if you go out yeah. to Kakadu and do some wholesome shit, you know, <laughs> still a few beers to have afterwards. So like, but um. Absolutely loved it. Like, yeah, it was great. Has this um, always been a theme for you, like wanting to travel and adventure? I mean, you mentioned it early. Was it how early did this start and like when Like, did that kindle up from who or was any influence? Yeah, so this was my sister again, actually. Um, I remember she did a trip to Cuba um, when I was about 14. So she must have been 18. And like Cuba was still a little bit um, of a... Unknown frontier, I guess. So it wasn't like I can't remember if um, Fidel Castro had died or not, but like it was still that was still like American enemy number one. It was still like a little bit don't go there kind of. It's like Um, going back in time there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And she went there, and I was just fascinated by that, but absolutely fascinated. And I think that's what sort of spurred it. And then Speezy, great (laughs) Great mate of ours, was um, also really interested, and we just used to spend our year 12 English lessons planning our trip like we'd have a world map on the wall and <laughs> at um, school on the- yeah yeah <laughs> in, in like one of the English classrooms that we had and like Joe Kindred was fucking so off it <laughs> and we just um, yeah plan where we were going to go and I know just sort of that just instilled a bit of a sense of adventure in me I guess and then that's kind of translated into Mm. Probably how I now live my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, life's too short, literally. Totally. But what was the first trip? Um, so first trip was with Spears in Azza and we went to Europe. Um, and I remember oh, we... Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like the classic gap year trip. Um, I remember we... When we getting off the train in Rome and having... When we never had phones because there was no Wi-Fi at this time. Which I could not no, imagine how old. There was no... Like, oh, there was... I don't even think iPhones were a thing. It was like 2006, so I don't know if they were or not, but if they were, we didn't have them. Um, yeah. like there was still like, you know, you used to go into those like dodgy 
um, phone rooms to ring mum on Christmas Day to tell her I'm still alive. Like, <laughs> I remember Spuzzy sent his um, Spuzzy sent his mum an email. We were in Italy, and he said, "Hi, mum. We're all good. We're thinking about either next going to Croatia, France, Ibiza." Or somewhere else, and then he didn't. He didn't write back for five weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so she would be sitting there. For yeah. the, the third weeks in fuck, they're in these four yeah, places. Yeah. Like now, every day, you know, you update your Instagram story or whatever it is. But like, yeah. she legitimately, she had to ring my mum and see who we were because you were so hopeless. <laughs> and um, yeah, so we travelled through a fair bit of Europe, fair bit of like Western Europe, mm. and then down to Morocco. Yeah. Um, which is do you want me to tell the? Yeah, please, tell story. please do. I don't um, think people would get lost. So this was another another sobering. Um, <laughs> Be good for Michael to hear, actually. <laughs> <laughs> another sobering story. So we wanted to go surfing in Morocco, um, and we surfed right down the bottom. It's pretty sort of pretty dicey, um, and so we're on all these like overnight buses and shit, which what felt like weeks um, through the Sahara Desert, <laughs> and we get to this town, we're surfing, and it was like terrible surf. It was like one foot onshore surf, and as I was riding his. Malamuni jumps off and there's a sandbank beneath him and he like, long story short, he broke his neck. Um, so we like drag him out onto the sand and the first dude that happened to walk up is a British doctor. So I was like, fuck this. Fuck this sort of right. <laughs> anyway, like I ended up ringing the hospital off some other punter's phone and um, they were like, no, we can't come and get him. It's we can't get down that road or whatever it was. So we had to like, we strapped him to a surfboard. There's a photo. I'll try and find you a photo. It's oh, like, it's could him, be a cool him strapped to a surfboard with like this, what you strap your surfboard to the top of the car with. Just mm. hold his head still. <laughs> <laughs> so who built that? That is an iconic photo. So who put yeah, that yeah. together? Was it you and Spuzzy? Uh, it was like me, Spuzzy, and just like five other random people on and the And what beach. was the board again? It was a surfboard. Like he a strapped yeah, to his surfboard. Was on a Malibu <laughs> with like towels around his neck with a, with a surfboard strap over his head. <laughs> And the doctor's like, guys, he like legitimately has a, a head injury. Like we need to be careful. I mean, we loaded him in the back of this guy's combi van, took him to a hospital, um, which was, yeah, if you could call it a hospital. Um, there was a dude who'd been hit by a bus on the floor who obviously couldn't afford healthcare and he was just like, and then, so that was, I was like, fuck, this is pretty hectic. Anyway, after hours and hours, we were like bribing them flat out. We couldn't get him any painkillers. There was no x-rays, nothing. So Fuck, I looked, no painkillers? No, no painkillers. I ran to the um, internet cafe and looked up a private hospital. So we took him to the private hospital. We had to pay just some ungodly amount of money. Like we were full oh, empty oh, in our bank accounts oh. at this point. Um, got him in there and then this kind of like fuckery went on for about a week where I rang the travel insurance company. They were treading water, not wanting to pay for anything. The doctors at the hospital who I knew spoke English, but were pretending not to speak English. How would you know? I can hear them in like the other <laughs> <laughs> But they wouldn't show us the x-rays. I'm like, can I have a look at the x-rays so I can get a second opinion? And they're like, no, no, no. And they kept saying they wanted to operate. So after about five days of not doing anything, I'm like, right, I've got to ring, I've got to ring Az's parents. So I ring um, Louis, which is his mum. A bit nervous. Real nervous. <laughs> and um, I'd done the the time difference wrong and so I rang at 3am and not 3pm <laughs> <laughs> so, so they would have known something immediately was she's like Kimi what's going on I'm like oh it's alright like but as has got a neck injury and so she starts crying Fuck. and she literally said like if you let them operate on him I'll never forgive you <laughs> so I'm like oh this is great <laughs> so anyway I went back I had a um, camera and I managed to steal one of the x-rays off one of the dudes took a photo of it yep ran to an intercafe 
uploaded it and emailed it, to, emailed it to the Alfred Hospital. I'm like, this is not a joke. Please help. Is my friend all right? What's, tell me what to do. <laughs> they emailed back about 15 minutes later being like, um, your friend is two mil off being a paraplegic. You need to, he needs Western healthcare immediately. So I ran back to the hospital and I'm like, Speezy. <laughs> <laughs> He's two millimeters away. And as was there going, what's going on? <laughs> You're six millimeters away from being paraplegic. <laughs> and um, anyway, I ran the travel insurance company back. And I'm like, mate, if you don't figure this out, like we're going to sue the shit out of you when we get back. Oh, like, oh. I don't know who I thought I was. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, he rings back. He's like, yep, we've got it sorted. About an hour later, this British guy comes in, real suave looking dude. They come up, they get Azza, put him on this other stretcher. All the doctors like chasing him down the corridor. <laughs> they get his passport off the front desk, like bribe the front desk, get his passport, put him in this white van and take him. And I remember Speedy being like, do you reckon that was them? <laughs> oh, oh, fucking hope so. <laughs> and like, we were just standing there and then it all kind of hit me that like, how just like, you know, we're in Africa and he had a broken neck and we've just trusted this dude who didn't even show us his I don't even know his name. name. Like, How quickly did that all happen? Just like... The- that all happened in a couple of hours, yeah. And it was just this full whirlwind. And then we didn't hear from As because he didn't have a phone, whatever. We didn't hear from him for about five days. So we were just sitting there just freaking out for about five days. And then finally he'd emailed him. Like, <laughs> he was in Frankfurt in Germany. Um, and he, yeah, he, he was all right. Like he was getting looked after. And he cost the travel insurance company 200, and, I think it was 294 grand. Oh, so like, that yeah. would stuff him. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then I remember him being like, because he'd earlier got his camera stolen on the trip. <laughs> and he was like, do you reckon I should like sell him, send him the bill for my camera as well? I'm like, oh, I reckon you can let it slide, man. Like, it's like a Kodak. They literally, it's like a- yeah, yeah. <laughs> they literally stopped your family going into bankruptcy. So like, <laughs> <laughs> don't know that that camera yeah, may have tipped yeah. it over the edge. <laughs> so in those five days, what were you boys doing? Um, we were just sort of sitting around the hostel, sitting around the hostel. drinking beers, wait, just like trying to subdue the anxiety. <laughs> Yeah, and then once we sort of got the all clear, we were like, oh, it's busy, we may as well carry on. So we flew to Paris and off we went. <laughs> we traveled for another six weeks, I think. All this, but he's just getting a million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, just, in, just in Paris. Just and then as it got flown home, so. Yeah. Mm. How much longer did that trip go? I, th- I, th- I think it was about another month. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, geez, that, that is another good amount yeah, of time. Yeah, it's another good stint. Yeah, yeah. So we went to London and met up with people we met up with before and yeah. But it was pretty um, it was, That was pretty like At the time We sort of took it all in our stride But it was pretty fucked up mm. It was a pretty heavy experience Was there any other times You've travelled to a certain country Where you thought um, You might have feared for your life a bit um, There's probably been a few um, I'm thinking of that the, the, In Honduras? One. Yeah Yeah yeah. Yeah. so we were travelling through Honduras With Mickey, Mickey Dennis And um, It's a bit of a um, Well it's pretty dodgy yeah. Like generally you just travel through it to mm. get to the next country. So we were we were doing we were diving out in the Caribbean and Mick starts hooking up with this Honduran girl. And um so like, oh, you should come back to my house in Tegucigalpa, which is capital city, which mm. is like pretty much has a blanket travel warning being like only stay here if you're passing through. Yeah. And so we were like, Yeah, why not? <laughs> so like red flag, like Yeah, well, but I was like, She must be pretty wealthy. And so we go back to her house and it's this genuine mansion. Um, we're rolling in like a Toyota Hilux with bulletproof windows. Um, and it's like, something going on here. And like Mick Dennis being his casual self was sort of like, yeah. didn't really mind too much. And I was like... Or register. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Her dad's name's Billy. And one day we're driving along and um, it, her dad's name is spray painted on the um, wall beside the 
beside the ute and I'm like, oh, what's the story here, Paulina? And she goes, uh, oh, that says death to Billy Hoyer, which is a dad. And I'm like, why would it say that? <laughs> and, um, why would anyone want to kill anyone she's in like, her oh, my dad's like involved in the government and like some people don't like him kind of thing. And I was like, oh yeah, you're absolutely not telling me the whole story. <laughs> so I got back and I Googled him and um, pretty much long story short, he was a CIA operative who was Honduran born, but then was like trained in America and he led a, a coup, like a militarized coup mm. against the government. So he walked into the presidential palace with a gun, put it to the president's head <laughs> and put him on a plane and flew him out to Spain and said, don't come back. And we were saying at this oh. dude's fucking house. And this is no bullshit. Like, you can look, look this guy up. Um, <laughs> and I was reading about him on a phone at his house on his Wi-Fi while looking over at him. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I wonder if you can fucking like read my mind or whatever. <laughs> just got your phone tape. And, and I look like, over the other side and Mick Dennis is by the pool like watching a bird, you know, just like pecking a bit of food. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> this is so fucked. And then, anyway, he actually, you know, from, from what I could tell you, he was a reasonably stand-up dude, but um, yeah. he's obviously done some pretty crazy, crazy questionable, questionable a, shit in his life. In and, a um, crazy country. Ended up, like I read a lot of Noam Chomsky, who's like a historian, sort of tells you about the real way the world works and the American influence around the world. And he actually got a chapter on this dude in one of the books, so, <laughs> which I read about, which is pretty amazing, yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, that, that's taking adventure in the, mm. the next level. And we told people like at the next hostel, we got to about it and they were like, that absolutely didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, how, how the fuck would I make up that convoluted story? <laughs> Imagine if that was in this day and age with Instagram and Facebook and shit. I oh, know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, So <laughs> that was pretty, um, yeah, pretty interesting. It was pretty cool. Like, yeah. Yeah. There's, um, now we've talked about this before about the need to want to like properly, because when I think of like, because you've never lived anywhere before, which is crazy. And I've not, I don't know, pretty well. It's like, these guys done a lot of adventuring, but, yeah, you know, but still in that quote unquote aspect of where people would say, you know, oh, it's just a holiday or whatever, yeah, you know, yeah. like, um, do you feel that you try to embody as much as that as you can when you do go overseas and let people get that wrong? In yeah, society? the difference like, between a holiday and, and, a, and, a, and traveling, I guess, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah because um, you know, we do you are you working to live or you living to work? Yeah, 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 that's right. Like, if you're just going on a holiday to for ten days. To sit by a pool, well, which is great, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But like, if that's the only thing getting you through, then you're probably not really living a sustainably good happy life. life, I yeah. guess. Yeah. So, because I think the same thing when I think of people doing that, I'm like, well, what's what what crap are you, you know? Yeah, yeah. Not yeah. Looking and look, we've all been on footy trips and you know stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. But like, I guess how I've tried to approach it over the years, and without trying to without sounding like too much of a wanker, like has been to like try and learn a little bit of it and just try and like experience the countries for what they truly are like. Like yeah. it's great, to, as I said, it's great to go on and sit in a resort and drink cocktails, like absolutely. Yeah. But um, on some of, yeah, some of the bigger trips I've done, I've really tried to, yeah, I guess, see the country for what it is, take traditional means of transport, yeah. eat at traditional places, eat street food, like, like yeah, engross some, yourself, engross yourself yeah. as much as you can because like otherwise, sort of what's the point? And yeah. um, I think that's led to some some great, some great experiences, some great learning opportunities, met some amazing people. Yeah. 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 And then on top of that, it's just, I love how you say just encompassing the whole culture and you meet the people that actually live in this, like there. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. You're not running into the same, like have, well, you, met, have you ever met a bad, ba unhappy backpacker or, you know, it's right. like you're actually encompassing with the people and the citizens who live in the country itself. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, yeah. I, you know, it feeds back into your, in how much, how 
great your own life is at points as well. Oh, like um, gratitude. Spoke to you the other day about the Mick and I <clears throat> randomly had Christmas dinner with this Sri Lankan, like this older Sri Lankan couple yeah. and and their brother as well. Um, so the the lady cooked us like this enormous Sri Lankan. This was on Christmas night, and so we took around like beers and a bottle of Arak, which is the local <laughs> spirit. And we we're sitting with them in their house, like eating Christmas dinner, and they were telling us about like the Sri Lankan civil war when they like when the Tamil Tigers, which was the like resistance, like invaded their town that they lived in, and like we were just these sort of not wealthy but like backpackers mm. from Australia where money wasn't really an issue, um, who had safe homes to go back to, who had pretty stable upbringings you know like to sit there and share a meal with these with people like that just it's pretty incredible like um pretty amazing experience to, yeah. to hear that and just drives you want to want to understand more and to learn more yeah and, that's a great way and, that, and that kind of thing i guess like yeah so just feeds back into you know we've got a pretty good i think yeah on the whole and then um and then it, with those experiences, how much do you think that may or, like may have not helped you when I guess things weren't going so well as well? That bit of gratitude and yeah, you know, you could you know on, even on a bad day, which you know you've talked to me about actually, and then about you have, and then or that we all have, and then you think, well, I've gone to this other side of the world where yeah, people yeah. have for, lived through a civil war, seen loved ones probably get killed. Yep. How much has that helped in a way? I don't know yeah, it doesn't help. Like it's not going to solve the problem. Perspective for yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's probably the way out of it. I think is that like gratitude and being thankful for things. And um, I think when times have got tough, that's what I've tried to do is yeah. to look to be grateful for things, to know that I've got a loving, supporting family. You know, to know that if I ever need anything, mm. I do have people I can call. Mm. Um, yeah, but as you probably know, that doesn't take away from bad, bad shit either. Like through. shit can still be bad for anyone, but. Um, but yeah, definitely perspective helps, I think. And if you can work your way out of the, the world that you dig yourself sometimes with yeah. that perspective, um, then that's definitely helped me. Yeah, it's definitely a funny one because I found that whenever I was like at my lowest or the hardest times was that, you know, it sounds weird, but in the end, you've got to take a lot of ownership for your behaviours and for yourself to get better. For sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, like um, at a time where I was pretty low, I just expected it to get better. Mm, and yeah. didn't know what to do and didn't know why I felt so shit and yeah. then like really had to change some of the things that I was doing in order to get better you know yeah. start practicing mindfulness stop abusing alcohol yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, start going to yeah. yoga start exercising more yeah get up in the morning and write down what you're grateful for um, you know ride your bike to work whatever it is like little things I don't think there's any silver bullet but if you add up six or seven different things across the day which for me, a cure amount of points over the day 100%, to try yeah. and feel better, it all helps. Like you're not just going to do it on your own. Like it's not just going to happen. And I think that was a, that was a pretty <coughs> big learning curve. Yeah. Because like, that, that's a good thing. You're not going to do it. Like it's a very mannish, stoic approach totally. that we think we take on that. Oh, yep. I can just, I'll be right. Yeah, yeah, yeah like exactly. A, I'll be fine. Get through the week. Drowning in booze on the weekend. Yeah. Feel sorry for myself on Sunday and then go again. And like, then be twice as bad and then keep you on that cycle. Yeah. And I did that for quite a long time. And I think we all probably have at some point. Yeah. But um, it doesn't work. <laughs> nah, it doesn't. <laughs> and um, I think the sooner you come to terms with that, um, the better. And just try mm. and, you know, still love going out. We went out on the weekend. But like, yeah. um, can bring yourself back from it, understand the importance of exercise to get back to normal, understand the importance of... Um, you know burying yourself in some work and doing all these things and mm. working on your 
the relationships you have or whatever mm. um, to try and lift yourself out of that that rut that you might be in. Yeah, and I, it's exactly right. I definitely don't think... Yeah, there's these layers of... Yeah, it takes two to tango in a way where it's like, yeah, I've got to take that ownership and doing those. Like, that's why holistic health and things like yeah, that is so yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, completely. Where you've got to take the ownership on yourself because, mm. you know, it can, it's the most pre- preventative, you know, totally. I believe, yeah, disease, yeah. quote, unquote, that, yep. you know, us men, because me and you and Michael, we in this room sit in the highest, the second highest kilo, whatever it is, between, was it, 21 and 44 or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong on that stats, but, you know, it can be the biggest preventative thing. Um, if you know we go about it the right way yeah absolutely keep breaking down stigmas which should never be stopped talked about yeah, at yeah, all yeah 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 because you know i know someone that's taken their own life and then we all know someone we've all heard these stories mm. like danny frawley and things like that yeah yep. when you know you can kind of do something about that in a way um it makes it all you know the more meaningful to, to take those steps going forward to prevent it yeah absolutely um and even even down to like what you eat, you know, like yeah, I feel better about myself when I eat well, yeah, consistently, um, as opposed to eating shit. Like we all love eating shit, yeah. totally. But like, yeah, I think it's just getting those things right over a period of time. And then I had a really bad foot injury in 2015, yeah. um, really bad concussion, broke my head basically. Yeah, <laughs> and um, I had a really tough time mentally coming back from that, yeah. both from the actual injury and then not being able to exercise, not being able to do things I would usually do. Yeah, like and all your all these things that came along with footy. Yeah, yeah that's right. Well, like yeah. the socialization, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. And mateship and Yeah, uh, it just made me realise the importance of all that, of the of the holistic approach, of even of being able to do shit that I wanted to do. But, you know, I was bedridden for however long and couldn't do all those things and you just realise how important they all are to your to your overall health, I guess. Yeah. So what are some of the things that you I guess now, put a bit of an onus on to look after yourself mentally. I, I um, try to meditate every day. Yeah. Um, I found that to be fantastic. Like I can't speak highly enough of it. Yeah. Um, clear the mind in the morning. I generally try and do it in the morning when I get up. Um, some form of exercise every day. Try and eat well during the week at least. Um, I did. I used to have the sleep the sleep cycle pretty nailed, but I've been yeah. fucking hopeless lately. But I've got to get back on that. Um, but you know, like going to bed at a certain time, the whole sleep hygiene kind of approach. Yeah. Um, the no technology before bed. Again, I've got to get better at that. But yeah. um, I'll go through phases a bit as well. Like mm. I'll try and cut out certain things in my diet, or I'll try new things. Like I tried yoga for a bit, and I tried like the ketogenic diet for a bit, and yeah. like it may be bullshit or it may not, but like yeah. I, I just quite enjoy doing little challenges like that, that yeah. you know just as a, yeah to try and make you feel a bit better give up coffee for a month give up booze for a month whatever it might be to yeah just keep on your but toes. know that you're trying to make yourself better in a way like yeah that's right. like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so yeah there's yeah. always there was a fresh one to try do you always do you find it hard to talk about now or like yeah 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 i think i think we all do yeah i think if you say you don't you're probably lying yeah um still i don't know yeah i couldn't tell you why like yeah. um you can talk about it a little bit, but it's hard to really delve into it. I guess you don't mm. want to feel like a weight on someone else. You don't want to 100%. feel... It's, I think it's just hard for someone else to understand the the nuances that exist within your mental health as well. Yeah. You know, like the, oh, 100%, that yeah. it might be buried in a formal relationship or it might be buried in, a for, in something to do with your parents or it might be something that happened to you as a kid, kid which is hard yeah. to explain. Like, I have anxiety around this. Oh, why? I don't know. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I just fucking do. Yeah, I just do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And yeah, half so the time it it's hard. just like when you say it, um, 
you know, you've pent up so much courage to even just get it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you're so, because you're building it so up so much, you think, fuck, I don't want them to think any different. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. And even if you see a psychologist, like, it takes a few sessions to like, yeah, actually be comfortable doing it. To kind yeah. of like, to admit that you know, you've probably made questionable decisions that you've probably yeah. um, not looked after yourself at points in time that you've abused alcohol, whatever the fuck, whatever mm. it might be, like yeah. that you've contributed to you being that way. It's like, 100%, yeah. it's hard to admit that to someone else. Yeah. Like I'll happily admit it to myself, <laughs> Yeah, but it's hard to, when they're like, oh, well, do you drink? Yes. Oh, well, do you look after yourself in this way? No. Oh, well, do you, do you yeah. see a psychologist? No. And you're like, okay, well, no wonder I feel like shit. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, which is why it's a funny one because you know all those things. You know, it's a, it's that form of, you know, I guess in in a way escapism. Like it doesn't not really like all these things that we abuse and we use. It's just really, um, covered up for the things that we really find that we are having difficulty, like yeah. with you know the breakup or some yeah. trauma yeah, and yeah, stuff. Yeah. And then we have all these things that necessarily aren't good for us, but mm. we still decide which is a very important thing like bad options to do yeah yeah, yeah. which is like what you said we should go back on that holistic approach yeah like, it's pretty yeah. interesting isn't it like it's it's very strange that like if you broke your leg yeah. or you hurt your ankle then i wouldn't tell you to get up and walk around yeah but if the age-old remedy if you break up with your partner is let's take you around the town and get pissed. Yeah, or and go sleep with much more girls. It's probably the last thing you should do. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Do you know? Like, and then you feel it's just strange yeah. that there's that juxtaposition exists between two preventable health things. Like, yeah. yeah, and and like to, I'm guilty of it. All the time, oh, but like you know, all? like yeah, it's just it's an interesting. But then, um, the funny thing you mentioned before is that you know that guilt factor in a way where like it's so hard to admit the things that you've done wrong mm. where we all and again it's a male psyche in a way yeah like yeah, oh, yeah. well no we've got to be we've yeah. been painted this perception of how we are blokes yeah. how we are men especially in society yeah. in, in australia yeah well we know we don't say anything we put up and shut up well and, and it's pretty it's probably pretty evident at the minute in the conversations that are happening in society around you know guys have got to get better at how we treat women and oh, 100%, yeah. then you get immediate kickback on people in Facebook comments being like, oh, it's not ever, ever. like we know fuckhead. <laughs> <laughs> but just like, it, do, is the statement guys have to get better wrong? No, it no. fucking isn't. Like, <laughs> like, if guys could stop killing and raping women, that'd be fucking great. great. Like, do you yeah. know, like yeah. on the whole, it's, they're not raping and killing themselves, are mm. they? Like, yeah. So guys go get better and everything from a combo you have with your mates to calling out someone down the street, whatever it is, like, I'm not saying I'm perfect either, but um, mm. yeah, like it's just how fragile that male like stigma or you know bravado is that like we can't we can't bear to yeah. to have it tainted. And I think it's so much even harder to break down because you know historically, man, like we're, it's like we're undoing all these things have historically been biologically male. Yeah, but in a modern pretty screwed up a society, yeah, which yeah, has given right. us these temptations to. Yeah. Well, know. I guess you know men. Growing up, went out and worked and women were caregivers and they had kind of like that persona is now filtered into yeah. society now and um, it's just something we have to work on to yeah. change and just like, it's not like it was then. <laughs> it's now, man. So yeah. like, um, yeah, those old school opinions don't really fly anymore, I guess. And just like, the more we talk about it, the better we get at it, I guess. So mm. it's, but it's, yeah, it's a pretty big body of work. Massive, massive body, but, you know, but it's something that personally I'm very passionate and I think that we are getting there if we just yeah. to put those steps forward in the right way yeah, yeah, yeah how much how important was your now we us boys look up to you boys a fair bit it's a mirror mirror sometimes yeah, yeah. 
how much are your mates important to this and that environment and putting yourself in the right environments <laughs> with people? Yeah, I think it's it's interesting, isn't it? Like, how long ago did we probably start hanging out? Like, like five, yeah. the last five years? Yeah, yeah. Like, I find that as you get to sort of your mid-20s, your early mid-20s, late-20s, you really start to find the people that you really resonate with. 100%. And you, you find you maintain contact with the, the people you really resonate with. Like, some of my mates from high school, I might not talk to for a month, two months, but I know that when I pick up the phone, we're good to go again. It's yeah. just, We pick up right where we left off. Yeah. And I think that... As you as you get older, you realise that, and you realise the the right people you keep yourself around. Mm. Um, and even just this last weekend, like I've seen some of the people in Melbourne that I saw this weekend. JJ, for example, hadn't spoken to him that much when I was in Darwin. Um, used to live with him, but then just picked up right where we left off. Yeah. We, we're both on the same wavelength. Like we both love each other. Both great mates, and we can talk for hours about mm. <laughs> all number of things. And I just think once you find that group of people, it's it's pretty awesome and you can you can feel comfortable who you're around. Like we've got such a, a common group of mates yeah. that we all share that are just awesome. Like <clears throat> I couldn't speak about any of them. Yeah. And, and you mentioned a good thing. It's like um, unconditional love and then all of a sudden these, you know, other things don't really matter anymore. Yeah, when, yeah, that's when right. When you get yeah. to the point with these boys. I think you just, as you get older, you just kind of realise that what actually matters. Yeah. It's, it's not like, like taking the piss out of your mates great. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's like what we do. But um, <laughs> I, I think it's also letting them know you love them and that you're there for them and that you, you know, yeah. is, is great as well. And yeah. there's, there's a, a good balance there. Like you can be endearing and doing it and not just rip them down constantly, which we've all been guilty of doing. Absolutely. Mm. Um, but like, yeah, I think you just, as you get older, you find out that it's, that it is important to, look after everyone around you as well and not be so much of a little dick. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's such a funny one though because, you know, you go through uni and you look at yourself. We were talking about this before off air. Like you think of yourself that you were then mm. and then think of yourself now. Like you think, oh, fuck. Like, oh, man. And you have about five realizations like that through your 20s. Yeah. Like at uni, you're like, fuck, I was a dickhead when I was 18. Mm. And when you're 25, you're like, God, I was a fucking dickhead. And I was an absolute dickhead. Yeah. I wasn't a bad person, but... Just did, so, like, you know, you things. get the Facebook memories yeah. about some of the Facebook strategies you made. Yeah. Like, Chaz Woodford is a special for that. <laughs> Chaz has had a few good ones lately. Shout out, Chaz. Yeah. Great man. But like, um, you're just a... Um, you know, you weren't a bad person. You just did dickhead things. Like, yeah, totally. Know. And you just remember some of the things you said or the things you couldn't quite grasp. And I think the Adam Goods thing is is a really great reflection of mm. it. I've had a lot of conversations with people who at the time probably didn't understand it. No. And now look back on it, they watch the doco, they have the conversations, they actually listen yeah. and you're like, fuck, yeah, 100%. That, 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 was, that was pretty rough. Yeah. That sucks. <laughs> even that girl, Maeve, you know. Totally. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, but like hindsight, but it's kind of like the beauty of it as well. It was like, well, would I be here today without those things and feeling this way right now? Probably yeah, yeah. not. Like, yeah, it's all a learning journey. I think, and I think when you have the ability to look back on it and be like, "Yep, I was on the wrong side of history yeah. there," but yeah, like on Facebook history. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then, um, you know, as long as you can now yeah. admit that and move on with it, yeah. you'd be better. And then all of a sudden, your priorities kind of change. We talked about this the other time, where all of a sudden, like. Like going out and doing the things that you used to do doesn't appeal. Look, I don't know if I'm having a quarter life crisis or <laughs> if all of a sudden I'm feeling those things that you said because I don't know. I don't told you this time. I was working, um, staying on that. I was working for my cousins like at the pipe pipe makers, like big industrial factory, just boxing pipes. Like mm. I was doing night shoes recently. Yeah, just in between jobs at Racker and like, you know, nothing against the fellas, but this was what my perception were. Like, not many blokes have probably 
gone. No, I'm going to confidently say none of them went to uni. Not, not many had, uh, they were like VCAL kind of cohort. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and this fellow just goes, and it was crazy to me. I said, yeah, look, I'm, I'm saying I'm 26, 20, 20 26, and these things just don't appeal to me. He just looked at me. And he's just <laughs> like, no, nah, I'm serious. Like, looked at me and he said, yeah, that's about the time when I felt it as well, mate. And yeah, I'm right. just thinking like, well, maybe I am just growing up and yeah, going yeah. through this thing as well where, you know, drinking pots flat out randomly at the Gordon each weekend <laughs> is just not, not appealing to me anymore. And It's ultimately a good thing, isn't it? Like that you're onto the next experience and it's yeah. like the next experience would be exciting and good. Like don't, like... I still like drinking pots. But, yeah, but, um, like handles. Yeah, I just think <laughs> like it's just not the be all and end all that it probably once was. Mm, mm. Um, and, you know, different experiences and doing cool shit and traveling and, yeah, you know, that kind of thing are probably more yeah. take precedence now. And that funnel just closes because, you, you know, like I said, like I'd rather get a house with the boys and have a few beers and watch the boys play yeah. footy for a weekend. Like, exactly. Instead of the other things. And I'd rather invest my time. Like we're talking about feeling good into other things as well, yep. like the podcast or like with better relationships. Yeah, and, yeah, 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 exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Now, um, going on the side note, now moving forward for you, big change again, again, adventure. Big change, yeah. How are you feeling? I mean, for people listening, they may or may not know what's about to happen. So, fill them in about that. Um, so, on Thursday, I am moving into America. Yeah. Um, which is pretty fun. I love, how you, I love how your voice went really serious. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether to say the city the or doomsday. Um, yeah. So, I'm moving there. I've, I'm doing some work for Save the Children. Uh, so like not-for-profit, um, in some education advisory for international developing countries, which has probably been a pipe dream of mine for a long time. I've kind of, that's what I've been trying to work towards doing. And if I could work in that permanently, that would be, I could tick that as my career goal achieved, I yeah. think. <clears throat> um, kind of goes back to our conversation earlier about being interested in the world and different things like that. So would love the opportunity to work in the education development space in Africa or in the Middle East or... Um, Central Asia or wow. something like that. So this can hopefully leverage a great opportunity like that. Um, yeah, so the, the, the contract's for three and a half months. Um, pretty much has sort of allowed me to get the visa and get over there. And then I'll just sort of see what happens. If, it, if I go there and have that experience and nothing happens at the end, that's great. I can come back here and, and, and get a gig or if I yeah. can go elsewhere or stay or what, like whatever it's pretty pretty open ended at the minute like it's yeah. it's not everyone's cup of tea just just rolling the dice but yeah we'll see how it goes would you say it's, <laughs> would you say it's rolling the dice or because it's fair to say there's been a bit of a theme for you that you've always kind of wanted to do what you've wanted to do yeah like I you think, never like I think if you back yourself in it's not as much rolling the dice there's still yeah, a little exactly, bit of dice yeah. rolling going yeah. on but yeah, like, <laughs> you could, like, like you could get COVID and try to roll <laughs> seven as opposed to a, you know double ones um <laughs> Yeah, like it's still a risk for sure, you know. I'm not overly worried about COVID. I'm not overly worried about March. I'm just mm. like excited and I'm keen to get over there and have some cool experiences. And as as you alluded to, like I haven't lived overseas, so um, that'll be cool. Yeah. So do that and then, yeah, just see what happens, man. Like I'm getting old now and it's probably my last <laughs> chance to, I guess, you know, really do that before I get too old to, to qualify for certain visas and things like that. Yeah. So, um yeah. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Was it just so it had to be it had to be America, like with a job? Like it just so this, happened this, to this be this specific job was America, yeah. 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 So um I applied for one in the South Pacific. Um I applied for one in Africa last year when I was on stand out from the AFL. Mm. Um yeah, applied for applied for one in Melbourne, but <laughs> yeah. um 
this just was so happened to be the one. So yeah, mm. it's pretty exciting times. And um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just I'm just really excited. Like it's yeah. just another another foray, I guess, and just another string in the bow. So yeah, like, 100%. yeah, I'm just trying to to accumulate those experiences while I can. I guess like my idea of hell is buying a house and settling down at the minute. Like, mm. and I know that. I'm probably too old for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just, I'm just not that interested in it yet, and like I never really have been. So yeah, I don't know. I'm just gonna keep doing what I want to do until I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> have, you, have you ever found it difficult to kind of succumb to that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I we think see everyone. That would be my dad's idea of success for me. Is that if yeah. I could move back to Portland and buy a house? But frankly, I absolutely don't want to. So, <laughs> <laughs> but if that's your thing, then that's fucking that's fine as well. Um, yeah, it is. It is hard because that's what society expects us to do, isn't it? Like yeah. as you get older and get married and you buy a house. And But um, I'm not ready for that yet. So that can... Go get stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. So um, yeah, you fly out Thursday? Fly out Thursday night. Yeah. Um, had to get like, the legit COVID test today. So I've got to get the whole paperwork printed out. Dicey. Imagine, imagine, imagine you just had me and Michael. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they said, oh, I had to isolate until the Savo and they're like, yeah, you're clear, but I'll get my paperwork um, yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. And then I've got to fly through Qatar, so it's a pretty, it's a bit, about 35 hour transit, yeah. which is good. Um, mask the whole way. Yeah. So it'll be a bit of a, bit of a journey, but yeah. um, I'm pumped. Nah. Kimi, America's lucky to have you. <laughs> Hopefully it's not too long, so I get to see you again and give you a big hug. Thanks, thanks, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it, Adderball. Take two. Thanks, you. I love you, brother. Love you, mate. <laughs>